Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. Last month of the minor league season, I'm currently uh, doing this intro. We're on the road, a two-week road trip, then back home for a week, and then back on the road again for the last week of the regular season. I'm still in the playoff hunt right now, so um, hopefully we can sneak in there and uh, and, and make the, the playoffs. But <clears throat> had I've had a lot of fun. Had you know met so many new players this year. That's one of the one of the cool things about minor league baseball is all of the 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 players that you you do get to meet and work with and develop a relationship with. And that's that's honestly been one of the biggest surprises. Is just we've had so many different players, and and you know part of it is that the nature of the business where you know unfortunately players have to go up and down, and and some you know let go, but it also allows <clears throat> to to develop a relationship with so many players and make an impact um, on so many different people too. So that's been really cool to see. And we pretty much have a new team now. Um, all of the new draft picks um, are are with us. It's been really fun getting to know them and watching them um, play on a, on an everyday basis. Now, um, today's episode. We have uh, someone who has been in baseball an extremely long time, Joe Barth, um, aka he's known as the Hit Doctor. He is he's been doing um, lessons before anyone else was doing lessons. He was opened up a facility in in the mid '80s when nobody else was was doing um, the the baseball business in the private sector. Uh, you know, that's been a really big thing that's blown up over the past five or so years. But I remember even just myself as a kid, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm um, just 10 years ago, five years ago. So he was doing, he started in the private sector and baseball development in the mid eighties in New Jersey and um, talks a little bit about his journey in this episode. We get into um, different mechanics and cues and and approaches at the plate, and, and Joe's a, a hitting coach who, who's had so much experience and has, has sent so many players to play college baseball. He helped start a, a travel baseball organization called Tri-City Arsenal, and he's been able to send kids on, get scholarships, and play in, in professional baseball, make it to the major leagues. So we we go through um, some different topics in this episode. A lot of it is based around hitting, so if you love hitting, like you're going to love this episode. Joe uh, shares some great stories of, of major leaguers, Joe Morgan, Ted Williams. Um, I, I loved it. I was like a kid in a candy store just listening to some of these stories he was telling. Um, he also has a, a business called BaseballGoldBook.com. And at the end of the episode, he talks a little bit about that. It's um, something that I've checked out a little bit. and It's, it's a pretty cool resource. So if, if you're interested, make sure you go check that out, BaseballGoldBook.com. But I think if you love hitting, if you love baseball, you're going to love listening to someone who's been doing this full time um, since the since the mid 1980s. Um, so this is going to be episode with uh, Joe, the hit doctor, Barth. Um, if you have any questions, want to reach out, connect um, my Twitter handle and all my social media handles are at P Jones baseball and email is Jones baseball training at gmail.com. So hope you enjoy this episode with Joe. The Hit Doctor, Barth. All right, we now welcome on Joe, the Hit Doctor, Barth. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. 
Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So you've been doing baseball full-time, really baseball instruction full-time way before any, any, all the, all these facilities and travel teams and everything else that's been popping up over the past, I'd say like five to seven years. I mean, you've been doing this since the eighties. Uh, what, yeah, I, what made yeah. you get going? So, I mean, you're just so far ahead of your time when it comes to player development and the facility business and everything like that. I mean, what, what made you take that leap when literally nobody else was? Well, I, I played ball and then, and then I was a CPA for, I guess, till I was 42. 22 years. And I also coached at Gloucester Catholic and Brooklyn American Legion, uh, which my father started in 1950. And at age 42 with three kids, I realized I had ADD and the worst job in the world for someone with ADD uh, was an accountant. Unless I was um, an air traffic controller, I could have wiped out the whole country in one day. But uh, (laughs) I was doing camps to help my Legion team in the high school. And uh, I decided, you know, I want to do this full time. I can't do accounting no more. So I gave the accounting business to my brother and I left. And uh, that was 30 some years ago. I opened the academy. I've been coaching close to 50 years. But, um, you know, we were the first academy in the Delaware Valley. Now there's 600 of them. And uh, I only got in travel ball. Uh, for self-protection because all these travel teams were popping up and starting to take my students and trying to get my Legion players. So, um, and my high school players. So I started in self-defense and very quickly became the number one travel program in the country, us and East Cobb Astros. And uh, when I sold my business, I guess, 2017, we were the only team that was going to perfect game and winning anything uh, out of the top 20 teams that wasn't a recruiting team. You know, uh, East Cobb is mostly homegrown, although they got a huge recruiting area. But uh, everybody else in the top 20 flies people in to play us and stuff like that. And we we were still winning. I sold the business because of health issues. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take Arsenal USA now across the country because there's not too many people teaching baseball. The uh, travel teams, most for the most part, they don't even practice. So I still have. I still help my brother with the high school team, the Legion team. I don't help with the high school uh, much, but the Legion team. And then I, I sponsor some travel teams and, and so forth. So I've been so doing a long time. Most of the travel teams don't practice. I assume that your your organization, your teams do. How, how is that structured? Because there, I, I know that there's some so many tournaments these days that start on you know Tuesday or uh, Wednesday yeah. and go till Sunday. Yeah, actually, the tournament structure is good for baseball. We we play tournaments every weekend with my travel team, but they practice four or five days a week, uh, Monday through Friday. There's one day where they go and do the ARX and the Proteus, but the rest of the time they're practicing. And uh, I have kids, some kids that come from distance, they can only get there on Friday. So what I do is uh, I I videotape them and they send me tapes of their workouts at home and I give them homework every every week to do it. A lot of them are more Arsenal kids than than the guys that live around the street, around the corner, because they do their work. I had two catchers drafted real high brothers from Buffalo. Well, I had one kid since he was like 10 years old and they uh, 
they film their workouts every day and then they come in on Fridays and play. But we're in the player development. If we do that, our teams will be successful. Our kids will go on and play college baseball, regardless of who recruits whom. Uh, and, and, and that's our main goal to make the kids better. You know what I mean? So uh, that's our that's our main objective with everything that we do. Get get the players better. When it comes to getting getting the players better, as you just mentioned, I mean, in the off season, how is it structured so that they're they're continuing to get better, develop? I know you guys are in New Jersey, so obviously you can't go outside. I mean, is there are you working with them in the off season? How does, yeah, how does that work? I, ha- I have a goal book, a workbook that's it's actually I give every coach that wants it in the country for that they can have the dashboard for free, and then they enter their players. The players get a free trial, and then and they pay some small fee a year. But I can look at every player in the country's goal book. More importantly, the coach can look at it every day. And we we try to uh, – we assign stuff. We assign drills and so forth. But the coaches can assign their own drills. It's just that by checking the app, you can find out who's working. And if a kid doesn't do anything for a week or two, we can email them or whatever. But I want to know what my guys are doing every day of the year. Uh, and we used to keep a book and that was a pain. You had to see the book now with the, uh, with the workbook that's online. So I could, I could look at the kids from Buffalo every day and see what they're doing, how many swings they took. And, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with battle history, but I'm a big fan of this sitting bull theory. Uh, before little bighorn, they, they was wondering which military genius was going to win. Custer, who taught military strategy at West Point, or Sitting Bull, who was this, it seemed to be street educated Indian out there, was wiping out the U.S. Cavalry. Well, at the end, when they interviewed uh, Sitting Bull after he wiped out our cavalry, they said, What's the secret to your success of being a military genius? He said, Well, I, I'm not a genius. I simply outnumber the guy 11 to 1. That's what we try to do. We try to outwork our opponents 11 times more work than they do. I want 11 times more grounders, 11 times more swings. The thing is, we start out taking one quality swing. I don't care if a guy drives from Buffalo to New York to New Jersey and takes one quality swing and says, hey, Mr. B, I'm beat. By swinging as much as we do, they'll get better and better. But I don't want them taking one bad swing. I want to see every swing. I want to eye on them when they're taking them. And eventually they build themselves up where they can swing a lot, but it, they got to all be quality. We take one at a time, 10 at a time, one at a time, or five at a time, one at a time. So that's basically it. But that the workbook said, I think separated us from a lot of people. I'm really glad you, what I just heard from you when you talked about quality swings over and, and not, not refusing to give in to, to bad swings, because I think that's, that's such a huge um, disconnect from the average player out there and maybe average coach where it's just, let's just do more and more and more. And over time, it'll naturally get better. Whereas that's actually not the case where you, I'd rather right. have a, I'd rather right. have a kid take 25 swings, but he is so focused and locked in and, and has an intent for those swings and a plan versus yep. one take 200 swings every single day. And they're just hitting just to hit. Well, kids pace themselves and, you know, if you want to throw hard, you got to throw hard. You want to hit hard, you got to hit hard. And uh, I don't think most people are capable 
of taking good quality hard swings, 25 at a clip. I mean, some of my kids, we, high school kids, we're working four or five swings at a time, and then they can come back in. But it's got to be quality. There's no question. Yeah. What's your philosophy on on hitting in general? I mean, I know um, you've been doing you've been doing this for such a long time, and when it comes to you know the swing mechanics, the you know internal versus external cues. I mean, there's so many different rabbit holes we could go down here, but I'm just kind of curious as to like what you teach with your guys, like how you go about helping them with their hitting. Well, uh, we're looking ultimately for controlled aggression with a great uh, knowledge of the strike zone. One of my mentors was Rudy Jaramillo to Texas Rangers. And he looks at every, he looked at every hitter on four levels. Uh, the mechanical level, where most American coaches live, the physical level, the in-game approach, and the in-season maintenance. Uh, in America, when a guy makes an out, there's always 20 people to tell you what he did wrong mechanically. And nine times out of 10, he either swung at a bad pitch, went out of the zone, or he was being foolish. And we tried to work the mechanics in the offseason in season, we're, we're focusing on see the ball longer, maintain vision and strength, bat speed throughout the season, and we focus on timing every day. Uh, when we're talking at the four levels that the Texas Rangers guys look at, mechanics is probably the last thing that's wrong with these kids. I mean, you get to a high, high level of baseball, you usually have a pretty good swing because your body told you what to do, Right. Most of the kids aren't physically strong enough or quick enough or explosive enough to be a baseball player. And nowadays they got all this stuff that I didn't have where, where they can work on their body. They can tell you where your weaknesses are. They can balance you out. But to be a great hitter, you need a 9-10 body or an, and a 9-10 swing. So physicality is where we're falling short. Uh, and then you have an in-game approach. Uh, the pitcher, he's got as many as five or six pitches nowadays, you can throw to nine zones. If that ain't enough, half the time that the umpire is his brother-in-law, if that ain't enough, he's got eight fielders that can catch all his mistakes. All the hitters got to hit with is the bat. It may have cost $300, but only six inches of it's any good. And one other thing, and that's the count. If you don't use the count as a weapon, you're entering a battle with, with without ammo. Uh, so we do a lot of hitting by the counts, scouting by the counts. Uh, I asked the kids, what's he going to throw you on the first pitch? I don't know. Let's sit down. Tommy will hit. Tommy, what's he going to throw you on the pit first pitch? Well, Tommy's not stupid. He just heard me bench Joey. Uh, Tommy says fastball. Very good, Tommy. First pitch, he's going to throw you fastball. Where's it going to be? I don't know. Uh, sit down. Okay. Uh, watch the game. Greg Lazinski is the bull. He, he told me when Pete Rose came over to the Phillies in spring training, he stood at the top lip of the dugout and he called every pitch to him, Smitty, everyone in the Phillies. He was calling every pitch. And here we don't know what's coming, but he knows what Smitty and I are getting on every pitch. So by the end of spring training, we were all standing next to him trying to guess what the pitch was coming. It ain't rocket science especially at the lower levels. You're, 
you got your head behind or even with the count. What are you looking for? I'm looking for dead red in my beach ball with no strikes. I'm looking uh, fastball with one strike unless the guy's proven he can get something else over. Until such time, everything else is thrown in the trash heap, right? Trouty said, when a guy can throw a slider over, I got to bring that back in with one strike. And then, of course, with two strikes, you turn in the Tasmanian Devil, expand the uh, expand the strike zone, and 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 don't let the umpire have a have an impact. Okay, and at the amateur level, that's really important. We yeah, I, I'd like to uh, on the yeah, two strike ahead. the two strike approach. I'd I'd love to hear you. Um, elaborate on that a little bit because I know that that's a hot topic and and you've seen so much amateur baseball and travel baseball and and I hear this a lot is you know the umpires aren't exactly the greatest at those levels and they're calling pitches two to three balls off the plate with two strikes at the same time if a lot of hitters are can even put those balls in play they're they're going to be outs so I mean like what do you how, what do you tell your guys to to help them with their two strike approach so they're not just up there putting the ball in play and and viewing that as a win only versus like well, still trying to drive the baseball? Number one, we hit Dominican style at least once a week. Dominican style, there's there is no balls. You get one pitch to hit, and if it doesn't bounce and it or isn't behind you, you got to hit it. I like I, that. I want them to I want them to realize that. They can hit anything from their nose to their toes. All right. We do that once a week. Now with two strikes, we're going Dominican style. If you get called out, it's not a problem. Come out of the game, go in the cage. We'll work on Dominican style again. All right. Nobody gets called out on Arsenal. That's a no-no because we hit anything that moves. It's even remotely close. Number two, we work on our two-strike approach every day where you tell the pitcher, Throw me anything you want. I got two strikes. Uh, I You can't get one by me. And every kid's two-strike approach is different, but sometimes we shorten up. Sometimes we hit the inside of the ball. Again, I think my players know, or they should know, what area they're looking at, and they learn to foul off the area they're not looking at, like, a lot of times we'll look outside, try to hit the inside of the ball with our two-strike approach, right? If I'm looking inside, it's because I'm playing guys that don't have a curveball, all right? But if he throws me inside when I'm looking out, I got to be able to foul it off. And that's why we try to hit the inside of the ball because you can foul it off out of the catcher's mitt. We break up those pitches. Uh, my dad, he played 22 years, and he said it was a must-do in the St. Louis organization you had to practice fouling balls off every day. I think it teaches two things. Let the ball travel, and I can hit – I can break up good pitches if he beats me. Uh, and so we do a little bit of that. But every kid has to practice – 55% of your at-bats end up with two strikes. How often do we practice it where you have to be ready for anything? We don't. You know, a kid push the button, make the pitching machine throw it where they want it. It's crazy. So it's it's a, it's a cardinal sin. <laughs> it's a cardinal sin for Arsenal to to strike out looking. Is that am I, absolutely? Okay. Absolutely. Don't come back and tell me the umpire blow it. No, no. You, you're hitting Dominican style with two strikes. Okay. Literally, you've been told since you're six. 
anything close. What does that mean? Right. I don't care how blind he is. If it's close enough to call, it's close enough for you to reach. It might be, like you said, three balls off. You know, by the time you bat the second time that this guy's bad, if he's bad, that's not that we can't lose because the umpire's bad. You got to take him out of the equation, period. Yeah, I think the the other part of it, too, and I'd be interested to hear what, what you have to say on this is a lot of times we don't strike out on strike three. We strike out on strike one and strike two because we miss There's those Absolutely pitches. no question. Absolutely no question. When Ryan Howard was with the Phillies, first of all, that guy was the most talented guy I've ever been on the field seeing. And uh, he worried so much about striking out that he chased with one strike and no strikes, right? You, you, you shouldn't chase ever. But the greater your two-strike approach is, the more selective you can become on the no-strike, one-strike counts. If you don't have a good two-strike approach that you you trust, then you have a tendency to chase any fastball early in the count, afraid of the breaking stuff. And, and, the, and so it ends up – what separates a Hall of Famer from a regular guy or an all-star from a regular guy is this two-strike batting average, slugging percentage, Etc. So I think that that goes a, a, a long ways towards it. And then uh, our whole hitting approach is different. You know, I, I've, I've had some pretty, pretty good hitters. I, I did hitting with Ken Griffey's uh, company. So I know Junior swing inside out. I know Trouty swing. They, they don't do things the way I was taught. And so I, I think that has to be practiced all the time as well. Did, so. did Trout play for you? Yeah, yeah. Mike Trout and Sean Doolittle were the two best hitters I ever had. Sean Doolittle, uh, he was a superstar for the USA team. He would have been a superstar for the Oakland A's, the three-hitter. Uh, he got hit in the hammock bones so many times in one year. They they said so he couldn't hold a bat anymore. So they said, well, we're going we're gonna to release you. But you used to pitch for, Miss, for when you were in high school in Virginia. You were a great pitcher. So we're going to send you down to double A. And maybe in a couple of years, we'll bring you up. He was up in about a month. And he's been a closer for Oakland and Washington. But Sean hit almost as good as Trouty. He didn't have as much power. He was a great hitter. Uh, and they swing differently than other people. And I, I just don't think it's being taught in the United States. I, I come to find out that I was a natural hitter my whole life. And then my junior year in college, coach decided to teach me how to hit. He had played for the Yankees and he was a great college coach. And he taught me uh, a lot of stuff that I now believe is wrong. And so uh, my guys should hit curveballs. We don't have to swing at them until we got two strikes. But by that time, we, we should be able to hit them because of the way we, uh, you know, we do things a little bit different. I don't teach step weight hit anymore. Um, you don't you don't we, teach what? Step, weight, hit. That's what I was taught. Step, weight, hit. Fastball, it's not a long weight. Curveball, it's a little longer and slider's a little longer. We, I was taught to step when the, the guy's arm starts forward, and I don't believe that anymore. Um, but make a long story short, I, I think it, it works a little bit better our way. Uh, so I want my foot in the air when the guy throws the ball. 
and I don't want it coming down till I'm ready to swing. It's a little bit different. When it, when it comes to being like the Arsenal way, like you said, you guys don't do it a little bit different. Like, how are you teaching the stride? Well, I know you said I, you, you I, wanted I, the foot in the air, but yeah, there's no, a little bit we, different. We want the guys loaded. When the guy breaks his hands, right, we want our guys loaded up. And when they finish their load, we, I mean, there's a, numerous ways of doing it. Pujols just lifts his heel up. Most of the time, he used to take a little bitty stride, right? That's the exception. All the rest of the guys, we want to get air under the front foot. And we're loaded. Our weight is against the back leg. Now, when the pitcher's arm starts forward, he starts at us. We started him by sliding our hips at him with the foot in the air. The foot doesn't come down till we're ready to swing. And we use one word down fire down fire now i did this as a baby i did it my whole life and i stopped doing it my junior year in college and i had a terrible year uh but but the bottom line it's been a lifelong quest to find out what trouty and tatis and correa and altuve and babe ruth and ted williams what did they do different than me nothing from the time i was seven till i was 20 Okay, then I got taught how to hit and then I couldn't hit anymore. Yeah. And so it's been a lifetime quest. I read a lot of biographies. I watch videos and I finally come to the conclusion that one thing I favor is a, uh, a scissor step or a modified scissor step or towing down. Uh, the other thing is that your foot doesn't come down to your ready to swing. You Bill Gates with all his billions, can't replicate your tracking system. You trust it. Babe Ruth said he sees the pitch, steps to it when the ball's there. When he's ready to swing, he puts his foot down and swings. He never had trouble with curveballs. Neither did I until I learned to step, wait, and hit. Okay? Uh, if you watch Trout, his foot is in the air to the ball's on top of him. All right? Watch Tatis. Watch Correa. And the curveball takes longer to get there, so you have to be able to glide longer on those pitches. But I honestly believe the tracking system makes you glide slower, all right? And their stride ends up being almost the same place. You just have to be able to hold your foot in the air while your hips are gliding to the ball a tenth of a second longer. That's the difference between a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and an 85-86 slider or curve at 80 is a tenth of a second. You either, your foot's in the air four tenths of a second or five tenths of a second, okay? And if you can hold your weight, it's always down fire. And all of a sudden, you can hit outside pitches out of the park and you can hit curveballs out of the park. And and that's basically our, our approach, all right? And our two-strike approach, if you want to go up on your heel and just put your foot down pull hose style, but when they do that, the kids tend to keep too much weight back. And you have to, sh if you're going to go up on your toe, front toe and lift your heel, you still have to slide your hips level towards the pitcher while his arm's coming forward, while he's coming at you. You got to go at him with your hips 
and then put your heel down. Uh, so that that's what we teach. Uh, and and you can you can tell the difference by the way a guy takes. If a guy takes and his upper body is moving, uh, he's turning the barrel around in that in that that then they they got it. Uh, and we only take one swing. It, 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 it never changes speeds. It never changes. Uh, the planes are always the same because that front leg firms up and and uh, we're putting our foot down late because so we got momentum. And uh, I, I'm not big on popping your hips. I, I think that the absolute is you lift your heel. All right. And your shoulders get get through. Uh, I'm, I'm throwing a lot of. Uh, our stuff in there but uh no i think i think this is yeah you're mentioning a lot of really good um pieces of information and i i just want to add on and when it comes to the the no stride or the two strike stride as you said you've seen before i think that sometimes i know you mentioned that guys get stuck on their back leg and, and i've seen it affect the timing where they they stride they spread out a lot with two strikes and um, it, it kind of affects their timing if if normally they're they're stepping yes. and striding towards the, the pitcher. Now I did want to go back exactly. though and and add and ask you maybe to clarify a little bit on the the scissor. Are you are you do you want all of your players to scissor? Because I I see you know I see Trout no, do I see it, Tatis it, do it, but I, I think a big part of it is their stride. They a lot of those guys stride close, so they naturally will scissor. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. What, what what one of the things we're trying to do is get our players to see the ball a lot longer than other people all right so part of that is picking it up out of the out, out of the hand uh because if you don't pick it up your eyes don't work like a movie camera they work like a canon 500 and they take a picture every 10 or 12 feet so if you miss it coming out of his hand you're going to be searching for that ball for a while you think you see it but you really don't all right, so we want to see it out of the glove. Uh, there's stuff now that we use that forces the kids to see the ball. Big leaguers definitely see the ball quicker, sooner than normal people. All right, so we're working on that. We also want to follow the ball in. Trouty's chin goes backwards from his front shoulder towards his back shoulder. But if it's in, if it's middle in, it stops and then continues to read. To reverse a little, but it still moves back first, right? If it's an outside pitch, middle out, your chin should go back. So what that does automatically for Trouty and the guys who take their head back like that, Pete Rose, it it allows you to see the ball deeper and longer. Now we believe that power comes from rotating your obliques and your shoulders, not necessarily your hips. If you watch Trout when he hits it middle out pitch out of the park to right field. His hips haven't hardly moved that much. They, they've moved, but they, they're not open. Okay, they're closed. His shoulders rotate, and that's where a lot of the torque comes from. Well, if I do a half an exorcist and my chin's going back towards the middle, I see the ball longer. If I do a scissor step, okay, I see it even longer. I hit the ball even deeper. Right, so we'll definitely do it as a drill with everybody, but I don't make everybody do it. But I don't know if you're familiar with this theory, Patrick, but they say that many people have the ability to throw 100 miles an hour in the front of their arm. But because their decelerators are so weak, 
and they can only decelerate 85, they only throw 85. I think it's the same in hitting. Your shoulders and obliques provide most of the torque and the power, okay? But because your body wants to balance, if your shoulders rotate, your foot wants to go backwards. It doesn't want to stay there and pivot. That's been taught by American coaches. What's natural, if you go as fast as you can with your shoulders, is your foot will drop back. It does it on 100-mile-an-hour pitchers, too. It'll drop back in the opposite direction of the shoulder rotation. By us not allowing him to drop his step, we're making him hit the ball further out in front, but we're also getting him to slow down his swing. Uh, I'm convinced of that. When they start swinging wiffle bats, that back foot will go backwards like Tatis, Correa, Cabrera, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Ted Williams, Hank Aaron, Roberto Clemente. Shall I keep going? All right. Mike Trout. There's a reason their back foot, Tatis, their back foot goes backwards. It's to balance a super fast set of shoulders that are flying. All right. It's to keep them from falling on their face. And if I can swing the bat 120 miles an hour, which Stanton has done, dropping his foot back. Exit velocity, exit velocity. Yes, yes. Your, your, your exit velocity, if left alone, if you take the kids from the Dominican, they all do a, a, a scissors or a modified scissors because they're trying to hit it as hard as they can. And, and and you should do that once a week. You should try to hit for distance. You should try to hit as hard as you can on a gun or whatever. But you'll find when all they're trying to do is swing harder and faster that their foot starts to drag backwards or up on the toe uh, uh, without teaching them that. All right. And, and uh, again, I don't make anybody do it. I just we do it as a drill. But some of them hit the ball so far and so deep, they start hitting curves and sliders. They say, Mr. B, I think I'm going to do that in the games. Go ahead. All right? But, again, in, in season, it's it's all about timing. And we're timing one swing, down fire. And we swing hard, but it's 70%. Now, and the, the, the problem with, with some of the kids, they're confused about launch angle. They're confused about – bat speed or exit speed i gotta get mine up to 100 miles an hour like trouty when trouty swings 105 he's swinging 70 percent major leaguers on a scale from zero to ten swing six seven or eight percent or you know and so stanton's and judges and trouty's 100 mile an hour swings that's 70 percent as fast as they can go do you right. think it's do you, you think it's seventy percent of as fast as they can go, or it's them thinking and telling oh, themselves to only it's swing? Them thinking it's seventy percent. It, it it probably is more than that because just like pitching, when you overthrow, you slow down. Right. When you overswing, you slow down. No, you're right. But I asked six hundred major league hitters over forty five years. I got a book. What's your effort on your swing from zero to ten? And the answer is seven. That is uh, 7.1 was the answer over 600 major league hitters. Okay, so they feel that. Now, you you, you just hit another topic, Patrick, which I, I, I love. Uh, I was fortunate enough to watch Ken Griffey up close and personal, A-Rod, 
quite a few guys and I ask them questions if I can. And I work, you know, work with Trout. I work with Trout's dad, who was the best hitter in New Jersey ever had till Mike came along. But anyway, um, what what's the effort level? Seven. Most major league hitters, superstars, don't know what they do. They they know they think they know what they do, but they don't. Case in point. Uh, if you asked Junior what the secret was, uh, I tried not to ever turn. Never turn. Uh, I tried to throw my bat down, let the ball get past my cup, throw my hands down and finish high. Now, you try doing that. Number one, that's impossible. Now, is Ken Griffey wrong? How can he be wrong? He's Ken Griffey. All right? That's what he thought. That's what he felt. When he did that, it went in the second deck. If I taught that to 100 kids, none of them could hit, right? They'd be hitting the ball into the ground. Major leaguers don't have to know what they do. That that Rudy Jaramillo didn't even want them to see their videos. He wanted to, them to know, what did you think and what did you feel when you just hit that ball off the wall? What did you think? What did you feel? Barry Bonds has to know what he thinks and what he felt when he's going good, what he felt when he was going bad, all right? The results, they they trust you. You say, that was good. Then what did you feel? And you have to train all your kids to think what they got to think, to feel what they got to feel, to be great. But the picture of what that is got to be in your head. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in his head. They don't have to know what they do. They just have to do it all the time the way you, uh, the way they want and, and, one of the big things with Rudy, mechanically, he would try to get him back to the feel that they had. They had described it when they were going good. And I don't know if that's making any sense, but. No, no, it it, it is. It is. I, I I do agree with you when it comes to the, the effort level. And and I think that's why you hear so many major leaguers talk about, you know, not trying to do too much and thinking the right, opposite, exactly. opposite field. I think the opposite field approach is is part of that. Um, part of that thing too, where they're just, they're just trying to, you know, Hey, not try to do too much, just hit opposite field gap. And before you know it, you know, they're, they're pulling balls down the, the right field line. If they're a left-handed hitter, even though they're not trying to do that, but well, now my, my follow-up question though would be to that is, you know, you mentioned some really good hitters there about, and, and how they didn't exactly know what they were doing. It was just about feel and, and that type of a thing. But what about the hitters, though, who who aren't just incredibly gifted from the time they're born? Do they need to know exactly what they're doing so when they get off track, they can get themselves back on again? Because I think I, I, I have I met I have met some I have met some really good major league hitters who truly do know their swing and can break it down, and they've said that that's that's helped them for when they have struggled because they know exactly what to look for to get them back on track. Well, J.D. Martinez is a great example of that. He'll go down in between at-bats to look at what he did. I think what happens is eventually what you feel and what you see, you you understand it's a cause and effect thing. And you start to understand when I I didn't hit it good, I 
felt this. And you start to differentiate between feeling right from wrong. And the picture of a, a great swing, once it's in your mind, you're always gravitating to it. And it's, it's, it's got to help. Uh, I, just, I just think that it's more important for them to know what they have to think and what they have to feel. Yeah. Right. But they, it sure doesn't hurt to know what it looks like. Yeah, you know, no, I, I agree with that. It, I, it, comes, I agree. it comes together. I, 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 as a as a coach, uh, Mr. Griffey told me one time, it it's like a uh, major league hitting coach. It's like Michelangelo. You're painting the Sistine Chapel, only the chapel wall is moving, and you're painting and painting and painting, and it starts to look really great. And when you step back to look at it, it's all going again. It's blank. Mm. Guys open it up. You're trying to get him to stay close, stay close, stay close because he's a major leaguer and because he can do things right away a lot easier. Pretty soon he's staying close too long. He's not getting the bat out. And so you got to bring him the other way back and forth, back and forth. And so a major league hitting coach's job is ne- is is never done. But I, I think the thing that that well, I would Rudy really taught me a lot is he would ask the guys, what are you thinking? What did you feel? And he kept meticulous notes when they were going good. And when they lost the game and win or lose, if if a guy had a rough day, he immediately took them into the cages after the game because he wanted it to be impressed with his mind and correct the feels and get him feeling good about himself before he went to bed so it wouldn't affect him tomorrow. Right. And 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 that's a big I think slumps are 100 percent mental. And so uh, I got the Joe Morgan theory for that. OK, Co- combination of Joe Morgan and Rudy's thing. All right. Somebody goes over. We hit right after the game. And after that, we don't mention it. I had a chance to meet Joe Morgan one time. And he told me when he was rookie of the year for the Colts, Houston Colts, he hit 286. And he hit well, he would have hit well over 300, except for two prolonged slumps. His second year with the Houston Astros, he was hitting over 350 at the All-Star break, made the All-Star team. Then had a hellacious, like, one for 41 slump. And he ended up again hitting under 300 for the year. But he said during the hellacious one for 41 he was taking advice from everybody. Lift your elbow, close your head, hands up higher, more weight, blah, blah, blah. Right? And he said, the tip of the iceberg came one night after another. Ofer, I'm walking out. I showered after everybody, and I was so depressed that I walked out to my car. And the peanut man says, hey, Joe, do this. Get your elbow up. Do this. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, okay, I'll try that tomorrow. And he said, I turned my car key, and I realized what the hell am I thinking? Now I'm taking tips from the peanut man. <laughs> I was all rookie of the year. I made the all-star team. I'm Joe Morgan. From now on, I am never, ever going to take advice for anybody. I'm just going to give it. When I'm going good, I'll teach other people. When I'm going bad, I'll either take extra BP or no BP. And I'm not changing nothing. And he said for the next 18 years, the worst he ever went was 0 for 9. Never had an 0 for 10 in 18 years. That's right. In America, we try to change the mechanics every time a guy misses a putt, misses a jump shot, 
misses a pitch. It's usually between your ears. You weren't seeing the ball well. You felt weak. The bat felt heavy. You went out of your happy zone. You swung at a curveball in the dirt with 2-0 count. That kind of stuff. And, and again, I'm sure you've heard about Ted Williams. He he took over to Washington uh, Senators. They were the worst hitting team in baseball. His first two years there, they they were the top hitting team since the 27 Yankees and the 31 A's. And they said, what'd you do? Teach them all a new swing? He said, no, I told them to accept their swing. You can't mm-hmm. hit a high pitch, don't swing at it. Can't hit an outside pitch, don't swing at it till you got two strikes. I just made them smarter. And and that's it. You got to know your strengths. You got to know your weaknesses. And if these guys could spot the ball four pitches in a row, their ERAs wouldn't be six anymore. You know what I'm saying? Joe, I, I, I can't. I wish I had a like button. I would like what you just said uh, a million times because that, that <laughs> segment, that segment was fantastic. And you sharing that story about Joe Morgan, I think is going to resonate with so many people. And, and I've seen that before I've done that before where, and I think it's a human nature thing too, where yeah, sure. when you start to struggle, the first thing you think of is, you know, Oh, I must be doing something wrong mechanically. But I think that the great ones realize that that's just, that's just a part of the game. And it's sometimes yep. it's, just you just have to it's, it's part of the beast and you have to let the beast win sometimes and um you know there's going to be other times where you win but uh that was that was a fantastic story about joe morgan and uh i know i've i've seen that with players that i've worked with and players of all ages and I, i'm sure you have too but um I, and i also like the, the ted williams thing where here you have arguably the greatest hitter of all time and he knows the swing he wrote the science of hitting and knows all about the mechanics or anything. And doesn't seem like he spent any time really talking mechanics with, with the players he was coaching. It was more so about approach and knowing who you are, and what you do well. I think knowing yourself, self-awareness is so important to becoming a great hitter. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I 100% agree with everything you said. That was great. Most guys will figure it out if you leave them alone long enough. Like uh, Mr. Griffey has a theory that, um, they they didn't touch Junior or A-Rod because they got paid so much money they were afraid to touch him. They touched all the other guys come out of high school or junior college, and he thinks it set them back years. Wow. Right? Most guys, when they sign, the reason they're not hitting is because they've never seen sliders like that. They've never seen 90 to 95 every night. They've been playing in high school or junior college, right? Well, they let Junior and A-Rod slowly g- get used to it by not touching them. And if, and he thinks if they left everybody alone, much more, many more guys would adjust to pro ball. But if, if Mr. Griffey's theory was right, then you wouldn't need hitting coaches at the lower levels. Funny thing that one of the teams that produces the most hitters of them all, the Boston Red Sox, they don't have anything but rovers till you get to triple A, right? They don't have a hitting coach and they definitely don't mess with rookies or a ball guys. They let them adjust. I couldn't hit a slider when I went to Ryder College. I never saw one. I could hit anything else that moved, right? And after fall ball, the coach left me alone. I could hit sliders. But if I had to go on in the pro ball and swung and missed all them sliders, they'd have, they'd have tried to change me right away. Unless I got a lot of money, then they run away from you. Uh, and, and that's been my experience. I've had a lot of big bonus babies. 
they left alone. And I've had a lot of guys sign for 500. They got six coaches tugging at them. <laughs> now, you know, you know playing devil's advocate to that, would you say, right. I mean, hitting is the hardest thing to do in the world. And most of the players who get signed probably aren't going to make it to the major league. So if they start out struggling or, or if they are struggling and they don't have much invested in them, they don't have a lot of that's, time. They don't have a lot of time to figure it out. That's right. No, so you're, you're so right. what that's, it, what, that's, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be, I mean, isn't, doesn't it make sense for those players to try to make some changes so that they, yeah, can win yeah. It, it's, it's a double edged sword, Patrick. I agree. You know, it, it, you don't know if the kid's, struggling because he's coming out of high school or junior college and never seen this kind of pitching. Right. Or is he struggling because his swing is a problem. Right. Right. It, it, a lot of times it's not the swing, but it's hard to differentiate. Is it the swing or is it his pitch selection or is he weak? But, but it's one of the things that obviously the guys that got the million and a half million, they're going to get more time. Yeah. And the other guys have to impress right away. That's why Jeff Trout didn't make the big leagues, right? When he was young enough to make the big leagues, he was always the best hitter in every league he was at. He hit, he led the international league in hitting three times, but he had Robbie Alomar ahead of him. And by the time Robbie Alomar got traded, Mr. Trout was on the downside. Okay. They wouldn't trade him because he was insurance policy and he, they wouldn't bring him up because they had Robbie Alomar. And because he never signed for a lot of money, you know, he was, what would you say, expendable? He became an organization guy at some point in their minds. When the people stopped asking for him, that was it. And all I know is Jeff Trout could hit with anybody. And he was a a great fielder, but he didn't have speed that, that Michael had. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, I'm actually look, I'm actually looking at at Jeff Trout's um, minor league statistics right now, and you are yeah. right; he did hit very well. He spent he three years he spent three years in in Double A and played over 300 games in those three years and did very well. I mean, OPS yeah. was up to 857 in his last year, um, yeah. 780 the year before, and um, so yeah, you're right. He he definitely deserved uh, probably a promotion and, and never got one. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's one of the, baseball's a tough sport because you got kids coming out of high school and out of college, a difference of four, sometimes five years in age. And it's it's really hard. And then you got the influx of all the guys from other countries. So it's hard. I realize it's a crapshoot, you know, and uh, you got you got to invest a million dollars or more in, in the first two guys. So you got to give them every chance. It's 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 just tough, you know. It's tough. But I mean, I, being a hitting coach is honestly the hardest thing to do outside of oh, being absolutely. outside outside absolutely. of being a hitter. A hitting coach and is you're second. always the first guy that gets fired. Yeah, I yeah. know some great hitting coaches that that got fired, but yet yeah, the the only thing that I I would do differently, I would insist if I owned a team, I would insist that you say to every guy, how how does that feel? Why don't you like that? You don't like that. Uh, tell me why you don't like that. Right? Give them control of their own swing because young players take it as. Well, Mr. Barr told me I have to do the scissors. Mr. Barr told me I have to do this. Mr. Barr didn't tell you anything you have to do. In fact, 
tell me why you didn't like it. We're going to bag it right now. You know what I mean? It, if, if it doesn't help you right away, uh, maybe it's not for you. Maybe we should bag it, right? You give it a chance, blah, blah, blah. If it causes you to hit the ball a lot harder and you feel uncomfortable, well, guess what? Live with it, right? We'll pop them out of the ballpark till you get comfortable. Right. But but I, I still think every player, no matter how much money he got, should own his own swing. And you and I are just his guides to try to help him figure it out. Every great hitter in the big leagues has his own system. He does his own drills that make him feel good. He does this off the tee. He has his own process. He developed that because you gave him enough time to develop that. And you asked him, how's that feel to you? You didn't tell Ken Griffey Jr. how to swing. You told the other guy how to swing. And with Junior, you would say, hey, why don't you try this? Let me know what you think. I think that's the way we should treat everybody, you know? Yeah, if you if you feel like someone's making you do something, you're going to be less likely to stick with it versus if you think it's, it's your idea and you came up with that idea. That's right. You're then right, you're, you're then right. you're then it's more likely that you're going to stick with it because you feel like you figured it out. And I think, I mean, I didn't play in the major leagues, but there were certain things I figured out about my swing, and Absolutely. I believed it because, and I stuck with it because I felt like I was the one who figured it out. So it's really empowering the the hitters to to own themselves, own their swing, and to um, realize that that what they're doing is comes from them. Absolutely. Um, and, it, this, and it's it's not rocket science. Like no. you should know what's coming a good portion of the time, or you should know where it's going to go. It, it's a lot like poker. It, it doesn't matter what your hand is. You're looking at that. The guys who win know what the other people have. And Pete Rose's thing, I, I instilled that in, in Brooklyn. In other words, on every pitch, I want you to tell me what he's throwing and where he's throwing. I'm not going to say anything if you're wrong. But you'll start getting right most of the time. He's either ahead in the count, behind the count, or even. You can name on one one hand, probably not five fingers, all the amateur pitchers that throw anything other than a fastball, 1-0-2-0-2-1-3-1. You know what I mean? Now, obviously, right. in pro ball, it changes. We, of all people, because we're guessing every pitch on every count to every hitter, should be aware of the guy that throws change-ups there who throws his slider there and has an idea what this guy is going to throw. If you don't, you're playing, a, you know, like I said, you're playing a game of wits half, half loaded, you know? Yeah. But, and that's, that's never, a, never a good idea doing the hardest thing to no. do in sports. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me, I, I mean, one of the things that um, I, I wanted to make sure we, we mention on here is I know you have um, you mentioned it, I think earlier in this episode with your baseball um, tell everyone, you know, where they can find that. And I'll make sure to put the link in the show notes so people can go check that out. But you mentioned it earlier in the episode, but I wanted to um, give you a few minutes to, to talk about it because I, it, it sounds like a pretty cool idea. Well, I think it's what separates, uh, our program, I'm not the sharpest guy in the world. My dad was a lot sharper. He he won the American Legion World Series when he was 92 and passed away that year. But, uh, you know, we, we've won, uh, I don't know, some outrageous amount of state championships between me and my brother and my dad. It's up around 70, 75 state championships. And every one of them in New Jersey was really, really hard. Uh, 
the secret is our book. We were all accountants and we used to build a business plan for every business. And I don't know when we started, but we started building a business plan for every hitter. And now I had it made into an app because I, I used to have to check uh, everybody's book, but it became real difficult, you know, getting my coaches to do it because they got lazy. So what happens is baseballgoldbook.com. You can go on there. The players can get a free trial for a month or two. Uh, coaches get a free dashboard f- forever. And then they enter their players if they want. And the players every day write down or they, they hit a button for what they did, how many swings, how many grounders, pitching charts, et cetera, whatever they did, long toss, weight training, Proteus, ARX. And they tick it off and, you know, little monkeys come out, jump up and down, balloons come out when they hit a goal. They have daily, weekly, monthly goals and the whole team's aware of them. And I know how many swings they took this week, this month, this year. And I swear to it in 50 years, the guys who improved absolutely the most were the ones that took the most swings, the most grounders, did long toss the most, and and so forth. Uh, now everybody's doing this uh, driveline stuff, and it's great. But we've been doing uh, – throwing on the guns for years and it works without the heavy balls, without the danger, right? Just seeing the results of your running, throwing at grounders, pop to pop time, pro pop to pop time. Tell me what it is, right? Pop to pop time is irrelevant for a catcher. Pro pop to pop time is all that matters. All right. So let's say I can throw two up from home plate to second. That's my pop time. Pro pop time is we put a four by four box on the first base side of the base. If your pop time's 2-0 and it goes in that box, your pro time is 2-0. For every foot it's out of a box at a tenth of a second. The average major ligger is 2-2 on pro pop time. And I had a kid who averaged 195 in pro time. He threw out 29 guys in a row at perfect game. All right. He should be in the big leagues right now if they really knew anything about what what it takes. Is he's at least a catch and throw guy in the big leagues because he puts it in the box, he puts it in the shortstop's glove every time. You can't you can't find anybody else who can do that. And he throws one nine, uh, but he averages one nine five pro time. That's all that matters. If you, I had a bazooka, they never stole right field off me, but they did steal second if they. They didn't, if I didn't scare them off an infield and in between innings, I, I threw it to the right fielder. Uh, so that's just one of my pet peeves. I want to know every time a guy throws to second base, what his pop time is, what his pro time is. I want him throwing them every day, first, third, and second. And uh, I want him doing it in the off season. We, we don't shut down a whole lot. I haven't had a lot of success with shutting down. Uh, Three things that set my pitchers back, and I've had quite a few guys touching 100, right? Three things that set my guys back was throwing weighted balls and then coming off of them. Uh, <clears throat> we had the Atlanta Braves flexibility guy come up and stretch our guys till the capsules pop, and they lost six miles an hour and took us a year to get it back. And then one year, I didn't have them pick up a ball for two months. That set us back about six months. 
So uh, we don't throw hard in November, December, but we, we train. And uh, that's it. We Hitting-wise, we progress from stationary targets like tees and so to slow moving targets to a little faster 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 every day we progress through that you get in trouble always go back to the basics these kids all want to rev the machine up but put it in a place where they can hit it i want it where they can hit mm-hmm. when i hit off machines we mostly hit sliders that way they learn our system of staying in the air and judging the ball and they'll hit fastballs a lot further. They hit breaking balls. Yeah, anyway. I like the slide. I like hitting the sliders too, but I think it helps their bat path, and they have to have good direction no, because so no they questions. can't roll over. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of of hitting sliders too. Uh, Joe, this has been a lot of fun. Um, really happy uh, we were able to connect. Baseball. Yeah, I, I really am. And I appreciate you sharing all your information. Um, again, for those listening, baseballgoalbook.com. That's what Joe was just talking about. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, Joe. And, um, you know, hopefully we can stay in contact because I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, anytime, anytime, Patrick. I enjoy it. Awesome. I, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. 